Hi, my name is Ulf Bjorklund. Welcome to The Passionate Producers. Episode 2, Kevin Cook. Hi, everybody. Today I'm talking to Kevin Cook, the man behind Kevin Cook Media, a Vancouver, Washington-based commercial video production company with the tag Evocative Content. Hmm, intriguing. The Canadian Spielberg of commercials, Kevin Cook. So you are Kevin Cook. You are the wunderkind from Canada who came to America to make it big, right? Sort of. My dad worked for an insurance company got transferred, so it's kind of the same. Yeah, it's kind of the same. So what is your life? What is your day-to-day -day life? My day-to-day -day life is doing a lot of production-oriented work for television and radio and voiceover work. It's sort of split. And because a lot of the work that I do is sort of, they're not mm -hmm. giant productions, there's a lot of hats. It's mostly all advertising, all commercial. Okay. I do a few and have recently done a few things that are long form. They're still sort of commercial in, in nature. So you mentioned that we spoke early that you were a little tired of the short commercials. You want to do something longer than 15, 30 seconds, right? I really enjoy when I do something a little longer because you can tell more of a story, I think, in right. that time frame. Right. Well, that's interesting. I was just speaking to Jordan O'Leary with ThinkSwitch over in India. He wrote me in advance and said, what I really want to do is telling a story. Do you find that to be true? That's what it kind of comes down to. If you've got a 30-second commercial and your core message is we're up until nine now, mm -hmm. there's not a whole heck of a lot of story there, but you can build sure. story into that. There are clever ways to say that rather than just coming out and announcing it. But still, within that 30 seconds, it's quite a challenge you know, to be able to do that. And sometimes it can even cost more to get the message across in a shorter amount of time uh, because you have to be really highly efficient with it. Sure. And that's why I, I really like humor. I love mm -hmm. anything to do with comedy. Do you sometimes feel you have to convince your clients about that? That's yeah, not gonna work. because I'm not taking that risk and they are, and right, it's their money. Right. Yeah. So risk assessment and being persuasive at the beginning, I'm confident that I can do things that their target audience is going to relate to. And the only way I would ever endeavor on any project like that or any project uh, is to sit down with the client early, do a needs analysis, find out where they are, how they're perceived, ask them their mission statement for their company, really get in and know a lot more about them, find out what keeps them up at night. You know, what, what do they worry about? How do they want to be perceived? Do you feel this has been a lot of hits and misses getting there or? I've always been very interested in advertising ever since I was a kid. Mm. I was kind of a geek that way. I loved ads. I wanted to be a psychologist when I was young, and I know that there was a lot of psychology in advertising. It's just motivating human behavior. Mm -hmm. And advertising has changed so much over the years. It, it's evolved. So I've always been sort of close to it and, and watched it and liked it and um, followed it. I've worked for other people mm -hmm. where I've seen that there's been a lot of wheel spinning. And that's one of the reasons I'm out of my own now doing it, because right. uh, there are very few opportunities to do great work where everything lines up. You can do good work, but to do great work and to do something you're really proud of and you're really happy with, a lot of things have to align. So do you feel that you have found the, the right mix between being a creative and being a marketer? Well, it's what hat are you wearing? When I've got a bunch of jobs lined up, I'm all creative and I'm going after it and I'm setting this up and setting that up. Do you have other people involved? I put together teams and crews of people based on the scope of the project. And there's a certain pool of people that I use. They're people that I've worked with before. I love their work. They're amazing shooters and editors and great, great people. 
and actors that I like to use if I can use them over again. You know, if it's a commercial and they're playing the part of a real person, you don't want to blow that for someone else that's running. So, and obviously, these are people that you trust to do their jobs. You can let them do their thing, and you know they're going to deliver. Yeah, and that's that's part of something that I learned over over time that I think is hugely important. Is that you know you've got a vision and you've got this passion and you know how you want things to go, but especially with actors, you know, get what you need and then let them do it their way or whatever way they want to do. You know, I always try to grab a few more takes at the end because creative people will bring creative things to the table. You know, if you start with everyone doing whatever they want to do, then it's just mayhem, but get, get what you need and then say, Hey, let's riff on this a little bit. If you've got the time or you build the time in for that, you know, everybody that is involved in this business has a lot of creativity, wears a lot of hats. And when you find good people that you can depend on that you're working with, let them do their thing, you know, and the project just becomes better. It's very collaborative. You know, it has to be. And then you get the best out of everybody. I, I usually will always do the writing and the meetings and the pitching with the clients and come up with the concepts. But then from that, I'll either cast myself or have someone else cast. I will farm out the editing, be there for the edit. When I'm working and I've got creative projects in the pipeline, it's just all creative and it's, and it's great. But then as I'm finding out, you, you get to the end of that. And when you work for yourself, when you finish a job, you're unemployed again, right? right Basically. So right. Yeah, um, yeah. I love it when I'm in front of clients and I identified their problems and they're willing to listen and I can say, Hey, here's how I really think I can fix this and gain their trust that way. Do but, you find there is a secret successful formula to being a freelancer? I think you have to adjust what you're doing so you don't get burned out. I don't think people get burned out on things that they really enjoy. Creativity can be utilized in so many different ways and creating television ads and radio ads and that type of thing is just one aspect of it. Is there a method to your madness and creativity? Well, at the very basic level, I, I love comedy so much and I, you know, ideas and concepts will pop into my head a lot and I'll write them, you know, sort of a, a digital log of concepts and funny ideas and things that I think would work well. But when I do have an actual project, it always starts from having as much information as I can have at the very, very beginning, because mm -hmm. that's the foundation. I mean, you got to cut through the uh, the hard part first. Do and you sometimes feel like you have to fight the clients for yes, ideas? Yes. There's a reason why someone will hire someone to create for them. The best thing to do is to say in a nice way, hey, you hired me for a reason. I've got experience with this. I like the idea that you came up with. I think it's cool. Here's why I think it might cause some problems doing it this way in my experience. Companies don't always know even what they're selling. Yeah. And that's the importance really of getting a client needs analysis. I call it a CNA mm. to go in with a list of questions, sit down with them, especially with smaller clients. Say it's a car dealer, mm -hmm. you know, for them to take the time to sit down. Sometimes they don't even want to do that. It's just make an ad. And it's like, right. okay, well, do you right. want to just have a guy on the lot yelling like everyone else? Right. Or do you want to stand out? My philosophy on ads standing out is I don't think there's any right or wrong necessarily with creative other than the fact that when you're done with it, if it stands out and it called attention in the sea of information that mm -hmm. we have that is just mind boggling everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, then you've done your job. That's really what advertising is. It's a hand in the crowd that's waving while none of the other ones are saying, look at me. Do you set time limits? You present it and you wait for the excitement to peak. Yeah. You have to know when to stop selling, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't always know that, but part of it is if you're very, very passionate about it and you've thought it through and you really, really want to do it, you can be very convincing without even trying. Mm -hmm. And 
I get really excited about wanting to do things for people when I've really thought it through. I mean, I've got history doing it. I've had successes mm -hmm. and I've based it on experience where I know this is going to work. So when I end up explaining it, I'm, I just get all ramped up and they either think I'm a nutball <laughs> or they go, yeah, we'll run with this. So with my situation, there's a contagious excitement, I think, that sort of happens mm -hmm. and then people get on board. But yes, definitely. You got to know when to flip that switch when, when they're sold on it. Does uh, this also mean that you actively pick your clients as opposed to a guy who's out scrounging for any kind of job. You say, I want to do advertisements for these and these and these people. Oh, yeah. So I will work at getting to them. If you can, mm -hmm. absolutely. If I could just write comedy, that's all I would do. I would say probably a good 75% of Swedish ads are hysterical yeah. without even telling you what the product is and nobody really cares. Yeah. And I think probably the opposite is true is America is probably the country that is more conservative as far as the commercials go. I think European country, I'm from Canada originally, right. and there's, a, there's sort of a European feel there, um, sort of more of a British feel. And I would agree that the sense of humor, I think, in other countries is lighter. It's more forgiving. It's not considered corny. In the U.S., there's an awful lot of selling that's done using fear, <laughs> you yes, know, and yes. I think that that has become sort of relatively prevalent. Although I, I would say that in the last several years with the Gen Xers coming through and Gen Ys and millennials, the way that they are reached now is sort of what you're saying, where you may not even have an association with the product till the very end. The promise and the, the treat Mm -hmm. is that I'm going to put out something completely absurd that's entertainment for you to look at. Mm -hmm. And all I have to have you remember at the end is that we're selling Starburst and you need to eat Starburst because it's a delicious candy. Right. Well, wouldn't you also say that the smaller the market is, the better you can get away with things like that? Maybe. If you have a country where the competition is so huge, it's dangerous to take too many risks. You're just going to be lost. Yeah, I mean, like in Sweden, they I mean, they got nine million people. There are only so many people selling stuff, so yeah, you got nothing to lose in a way. Yeah, well, I think the large agencies, you know, definitely have an advantage on that front because they can do focus groups. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no way a local car dealer is going to do a focus group. Their right. focus group is running down the hall and asking their buddies at lunch, you know, sure. what sucks about this guy's script, right. and then giving me the feedback. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, when you can do that, when you've got all those mechanisms in place for, you know, a larger, you know, or even a mid-sized agency where you can, you know, do some kind of research and, and base it on what people are saying about what they think about it, then there's an advantage here. Yeah. Would you say that you're a copywriter more than anything? Yeah, probably, because it has to get down to the page. Any concept that you have is just sort of in the ether until you can get it on paper. I don't know how people can get the words and make them make sense. And you, you're one of those people. Well, hopefully. I think it's easier sometimes with radio. I mean, there's commercials where you just talk about what the thing is and sure. those bore me to death. Right. And then there's stuff where it's like, well, let's use a metaphor for this and, and let's go to some place that people don't expect so that it stands out and it's the mm -hmm. one hand waving mm -hmm. in the crowd. And that's where it can be really fun. And that doesn't necessarily have to be humor. Although to me, that's the easiest thing because I, I really appreciate it and like it. And I've always sort of had a propensity to write humor. I used to write for a stand-up comedian in Seattle. Because I didn't have the guts to go up, but he did well. So um, there was sort of a warped validation through that. How long have you been at it? You know, I play guitar. I played in a band when I was 12 years old. Well, just some friends. You know, we'd get together and play. And we learned how to play House of the Rising Sun. And, uh, the Don't name, we all? Don't we all? Yeah, right? <laughs> it's sort of a it's a rite of passage, I think. You know, and, and the neighbor's kid 
his dad worked at a radio station. Oh, he okay. came down with this reel to reel recorder. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. And he recorded us playing it in the basement and he used it on an ad and oh, we heard okay. ourselves on the radio and I was right. blown away. I thought that was the coolest thing. It was completely illegal, of course, because yes. we didn't own House of the Rising Sun. Sure. And if the animals want to come after me now, that's why I had to move to the States. <laughs> but that was my first experience sort of with the advertising thing and thinking, okay, here's creativity and now I'm hearing it on the radio. And I really think that was a trigger at some point for me when I was young. Has things dramatically changed in the last five years? I think the delivery methods have changed a lot with online. Has that changed your approach to things? Yeah. It's always about your target. You got to know who you're talking to before you know how to talk to them. And then you design it in a way that they'll listen and understand. But the delivery method is also important. There's pre-roll stuff now that that um, mm-hmm. I'm doing. The stuff that everybody can't stand. You sure. want to go see a cool video and you click on it, but you have to watch right. this dumb ad first. Right. I like to keep them amusing and interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's a client I'm working with now that is just going to be some really cool sort of in-your-face music, but no VO at all. So do you see that general trend that voiceover are disappearing? I don't think voice will disappear. I think uh, human voice may be replaced digitally, which is a big fear of mine because... That might be the last hurrah for voiceover actors is getting their voices sampled so that now the computers can make them sound like them at whim and maybe you license your essence. I mean, there's some crazy stuff going on that is hugely advanced and it's just going to get better and better. I don't see voice going away, but again, finding a way to stand out. Like if 20 commercials come out in a row with voice and one comes on with just sound and you don't know what it is, you're going to look up from what you're doing and look at it. Right. So... Are we back to storytelling? Is there a way to keep the story alive? Doing documentaries? I would love to do documentaries because, you know, you're asking me for what sort of drives people. And what drives me is my passion for doing something that I really, really enjoy. Um, I'm getting a little tired of the 30-second world. I'm looking for different types of clients because I do a lot of car dealerships now, which are fun and rewarding. But... I need a different kind of balance, I think. And I've got I've got some other clients that I've really enjoyed working with recently that are not car dealers. But I think doing a documentary would be a blast. But it's how to fund it, you know? Yeah. There's so many well, people doing it. There's so many people that have done it. I haven't really done one yet. So Do you consider yourself a writer? Could you sit down, write yourself a 30, 45 minute documentary? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then you have a future. Because the process is the same. You right. just break it down into little chunks. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, sort of storyboard it out and figure out what goes where and how and why. And then you break that down into further little chunks. It would be the same thing as writing a comedy routine or writing an instructional video or writing a 30 second spot, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just scale. But I, I think it's the funding of it. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, it's going to cost a lot more to do a documentary. And where's that funding coming from? Right. Is this, this something I want to do for my heart and pay for it myself and do it, which may be how I end up doing it? Mm-hmm. Or is someone going to put trust in me and say, hey, you know, I think you're passionate enough about this. I've seen your other work. Let's go for this. You know. So we're looking at Kevin Cook, documentary writer, producer, and filmmaker. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The Passionate Producers podcast is released twice a month for your enjoyment. And show notes are found at ulfvo.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow me on Twitter at UlfVO. You will find all the links in the show notes. Uh-huh.